Hello, everybody, and welcome to the NASP Principal Podcast. Uh, my name is Liz Garden. I am the proud principal of the Henry P. Clough Elementary School in Menden, Massachusetts, and I also am happy to be um, serving as an NASP fellow for the Center for Innovative Leadership, and I'm going to turn it over to my co-fellow. Hey, everybody. Scott McLeod. I'm a professor of educational leadership at the University of Colorado, Denver. And I'm actually super delighted to have our guest with us today. Thank you, Dr. Mark Gooden. He is the Christian Johnson Endeavor Professor of Educational Leadership and Chair of the Department of Organization Leadership at Teachers College, Columbia University. That's a big mouthful. And Mark and I have known each other a really long time. And uh, we're super happy to have him on the podcast. So, Mark, we don't have a lot of time. So we're just going to dive right in with question number one for you. Um, so NAESP recently updated its statement of ethics for school administrators. Um, Editor-in-Chief Kaylin Tucker asked education leaders like yourself to address some ethical leadership concerns according to their specific lenses. Talk to us a little bit about the intersection of ethics and culturally responsive leadership. Absolutely. Uh, thank you uh, for having me, uh, Scott and Liz, and, and thank you for the question. Uh, so yes, yes. So so I, I love this question, actually. Um, and when I think about uh, ethical leadership, I mean, there are a lot of ways to define it. Um, but in the article, I talk about three attributes, uh, strength, courage, and uh, kindness. We've been hearing a lot about kindness, so I'll kind of leave that one for, for the uh, last point. But, uh, but I see strength for leaders as a way, as an attribute to be strong and vulnerable at the same time, you know, certainly to be uh, committed to doing great leadership work, but also uh, showing vulnerability when it comes to doing cultural responsive work is really quite necessary. So it's one of those things where we ask leaders to do things like uh, reflect on your critical consciousness. And, and by that, we mean, uh, and I tend to mean this, this idea of really considering how our great country has developed around uh, certain inequities, historical ones, structural ones, uh, and also institutional inequities. And so for leaders to be aware of that, they have to have a certain degree of critical consciousness. So that's what those two pieces kind of interplay uh, together when we're thinking about strength. When we think about courage, you really have to be bold enough to be vulnerable. Uh, and, and sometimes people think about courage as being this thing where I, I'm the person without fear. And I tend to think about people with courage actually have fear but have a, a greater drive to pull them forward. And so being an ethical leader and knowing that I have to do what's right is a way of really drawing on that courage, even though you may be afraid or even though you may be a little somewhat nervous about what's going to happen. Um, I've seen some of the most impressive leaders say, you know, I, I did what I had to do and, and, and people came to my aid and said, wow, when and there's this new research out about when leaders show up, and when they when they when they're ethical, when they do the right thing, uh, it's it's experienced as a an event of awe inspiring. People see it as wow, I want to be like that. I want to do what they're doing. And so they tend to come up and say, I can't do it exactly like you, but you've inspired me in a way to do something that's really worthwhile. So so we think about being uh, a culturally responsive leader, having that critical consciousness requires cur um, courage, saying that we're going to develop teaching that's going to see students, that's going to be about being culturally responsive pedagogy and how we support students, that again takes courage because you're going to challenge teachers to think differently about their work and expand it if they have not 
heretofore been exposed um, to that. To that, excuse me. <clears throat> awesome, and you know what? As listening to you, I should have worn. I have my "Be Brave" earrings. Um, I'm known for lots of different uh, statement earrings, and that is my favorite pair because exactly what you just said about how, as leaders, we absolutely need to, you know, show up and be brave. Um, so, you know, I know you just shared a great article um, in the latest Principal Magazine about when the fight for equity becomes an ethical dilemma. Um, and you give us a working definition of equity leadership. Um, and I personally love the example. Um, I'm all about culture responsive literacy. So, you know, your example about the story um, with uh, the principal and the teacher with uh, around the book, Ghost Boys, and, you know, when they face the backlash to curriculum choices. So what yes. encouragement do you have for us principals who are facing these challenges? Because I know that so many leaders are every day facing these challenges. Yes, yes. Well, Liz, well, well, thank you. Thank you for wearing those earrings and calling it to my attention. Um, so 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 I believe that for leaders, um, it, it comes down to this this idea that they really are charged with with doing the right thing when it comes to students. Uh, leaders, I think, who um, started out, I, I generally think of them as educators. Uh, chances are, if they have an ethical focus, they're on the right side of history. Uh, if you think nationally what's going on in this country, uh, some of us are many, well, some of your listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with the Office of Civil Rights. And we will note that the complaints uh, in the last fiscal year 22 uh, have been up, almost 19,000 complaints from the Office of Civil Rights across different types of uh, Title um, Title VI and Title Title IX discrimination, right? Uh, discrimination against kids based on uh, on their ability. So, so when we start to think about what that means, leaders have, I think, an ethical responsibility to say, "Hey, look, this is what's happening in schools," and in order to avoid people really making mistakes that are careless we have to bring a certain degree of awareness to this. We have to say, okay, there is a Title VI uh, Act, um, uh, Title VI of, of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. However, beyond that procedural law and what's required, we've got to help folks understand how do we create a welcoming and affirming environment? And we talk about that in cultural responsive school leadership. How do we make sure that students who've been historically marginalized feel welcome? How do they see themselves you know, as a part of the curriculum? And so when we start to do that for the most marginalized students, we find that, you know, other students are watching what we do and other students are also interested. And in, once again, going, going back to being uh, leaders themselves and recognizing when we have issues, uh, like bullying, for instance, uh, people recognize, and we've all been educators, and I can honestly say, when we saw students being bullied or we had uh, some evidence of that happening, it didn't start just with that one incident. It oftentimes started with some kind of inappropriate language that was used in the class, something that was said about this student or that student that we didn't attend to. We said, okay, you can't say that here, but we didn't sit down and maybe take the time to say, this is why we can't do this because history teaches us that when we allow certain types of language to go forward, it creates a space, it creates an environment where it becomes easier for people to start to launch hate speech, for, speech, for instance, or to start to, you know, smack kids or hit kids because you're like this and you're that particular kind of kid. And so the Office for Civil Rights reminds us 
that we have to be aware of those things. And hopefully they won't show up on our do doorstep with a complaint. But uh, but again, we have a chance to be aware of that and ethical leaders can can do that ahead of time uh, and be proactive in that in that space. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. Uh, listeners, one of the things we didn't mention is that Mark is also the co-author of a absolutely fantastic book called Five Practices for Equity-Focused School Leadership. So definitely a book you should consider putting on your bookshelf. Uh, Mark, you know, your conversation reminds me of another um, well-known ethics book in school leadership from Shapiro and Stefkovich, where um, one of the things they talk about is this idea of an ethic of critique, which invites us to sort of zoom up and ask ourselves some really difficult questions as school leaders and preparation programs about how rules and policies are made, who benefits, who has power, whose voices are privileged or silenced, and so on. As you think about your own work there at Teachers College at Columbia University, what are you learning are some of the most common voids or barriers or challenges as we think about really leaning heavily into culturally responsive leadership and some of the ethical challenges go with those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for the uh, plug for the book, Scott, and, and thank you for that, that, that great question. Um, so the interesting thing about working with leaders uh, is they're, they're like uh, everybody else when it comes to this, right? Uh, so we bring this stuff up and we say, okay, we're going to be dealing with uh, this idea of racial inequity. And we've become more skilled at using that as a term, as an entryway into it, because when we say race and racism, people get all crazy. Like, But okay, we can say racial inequity and we can help people define what that is. But when we enter that conversation, what we find is most people want to find the culprit, reform the culprit, reform that person, and then move on. Most people are looking for the person who's doing it out there. And I'm, I'm pointing my fingers for people, you know, really recognizing we're on a podcast. Um, but they fail to recognize when you're pointing out, you know, those three fingers that are pointing back at you like, oh, wait, you mean I have a role in this? Uh, there's something that I can do that's best for kids that's going to involve me asking my own self and going through my own process of developing my racial awareness and recognizing that I have some issues and I've got to be brave in this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the powerful thing that we really present in the book is if you do this as a leader and going back to what I said earlier, show that vulnerability up front, people become more willing to say, hey, I'm open to now doing a racial reflection. If you do that and share your racial reflection, because one of the things I like to say is by doing that, it's like opening up your closet, right? It's like doing a 360 on leadership. It's like, hey, come on in, folks, take a look at all my baggage. Uh, take a look at what I've been through. And so that you will know that I'm not the principal on high and mighty on the hilltop. And I got here, and I woke up here. No, I had to have some developmental steps to get here. Uh, but I've grown from those. And I want you to know that I'm still growing. And I want to grow with you so we can grow together and then co-develop what's going to be really what's best for our students. So starting with, with self is really powerful. And then recognizing that in order to do the best for people, sometimes requires me to to go out there and, and lead by doing the paradoxical thing of saying, I'm not going to be the person who's leading from the top or leading from the, you know, however you want to say that. But I like to use this idea, lead in, the, in, a, in a circle. And then if you must think about yourself at the top of the circle, that's fine, <laughs> you know, for time. But, but if you're leading with the circle, that means any person there 
can think differently about how uh, they lead and how they can offer something there that's really going to be substantial to the process. And uh, and by the way, it takes a little more, a lot more pressure off you uh, as the leader, you know, than having to think about coming up with all the answers. Thank you. And I feel like you've um, started to get into some of this, but, um, you know, in terms of when thinking about being a culture responsive leader, um, you know, uh, it's, I, I know with many different leaders that I've talked with, my own work doing it myself, like, um, you know, it's challenging. It's there's, you know, sometimes anxiety producing, uh, but what are some common pitfalls that you see for principals in their work with teachers and staff in terms of, you know, being a culture responsive leader? Yes, yes, I, I did start to move in that direction, Liz. Uh, so, so yes, uh, one, one common pitfall I would say is, um, you know, how we, how we start to um, um, collect the data around what's happening in our school. Um, a number of people talk about going through a process of doing an equity audit. I would just remind leaders that, th yes, that, that is a great thing to do, but there's also a big how in how, uh, it, a how there, you know, collect, con con um, conduct the audit, but make sure that it's done in a way that you have a group of people who are supporting you in the process, who are participating along the way, maybe leading, leading parts of it. Um, there's an old saying that people don't argue with their own data, but it can be dangerous if you just give them the data and say, this is it. And, you know, it's all about what you all are doing. No, I think take some really thoughtful steps and in considering what we want to work on, kind of thinking about this as a, a mini needs assessment, if you will, uh, pinpointing what we're going to do in a realistic way, not something that's too small. You have to kind of think about how, how I develop smart goals that may, as a guide that will be helpful. Um, but but do that in, in cooperation with people. Uh, in the book, we talk about developing the equity leadership team. And that's a way of, of really creating a strong group of people who can support you in the work, um, but can also remind you of going back to, we're doing this in, in a certain kind of way that's going to bring as many people as possible on board. Not everybody, of course, uh, not initially. And then one other thing I'll say related to that is um, because we don't do this work nearly enough in schools, and I would love to see more of it and see us be more intentional about it. But until that day comes, uh, there's going to be a great deal of resistance. There's some resistors, so to speak, and I, I use that label loosely, who are not going to be on board. They're just not going to be with this, and you're going to have to find ways to, um, you know, move those people out the space and help them find another place to go. But there are some folks that we sometimes label label as resistors too early. And we push them out, right? Recognizing this is difficult content. Um, many folks are, are openly suspicious about it because we have not had a chance to engage with the work. So we have to give it a chance and we have to rec recognize we have to educate those folks. So a mistake might be saying all these people are against it, when in fact, they may just be asking questions that can make us better. Uh, and it, it could be coming from a good place. And so we have to give ourselves time to recognize if, in fact, it is that, or if it's more the former that I've just described. Thank you, Mark. You know, I just finished reading Fix Injustice, Not Kids by Gorski and Swalwell. And I think you're echoing a lot of the themes that I really took away from that book around focusing on processes and structures and most important and equity culture, right? Like this is not just a, a, um, 
an issue for particular individuals. This is really, you know, an entire school culture and climate yes. um, concern, and we have to really pay attention to all that. So thank you for reminding us of those bigger picture things that have that we have to enable as leaders rather than just focusing on individuals. Um, I think we have time for one more question. We're going to go in a slightly different direction here for this last one. Mm -hmm. uh, NAESP also serves assistant principals. And as we know, APs are often responsible for student discipline. Yeah. Uh, how do we better support APs and all school leaders, actually, uh, as we think about leveraging restorative practices within those disciplinary conversations? Yes, yes, yes. So so there's so much in this question, right? Um, and we have to get it out there beyond the, this, you know, that that joke, that thing about it. I think somebody even has a book out called Beyond uh, Books, Butts, and Buses, right? Uh, which is a funny title, you know, even without the alliteration. But I, I do believe there's some truth in how we think about our APs, right? As, uh, well, not just truth, there's research that supports this uh, as disciplinarians, right? And uh, also as doing kind of the grunt work or the things that we don't want to do uh, maybe principals are not, not as interested in doing or that they need support on, which is totally understandable. We totally get it. But I, I would love for us to think about envisioning that assistant principalship as a person who is uh, on that leadership team and responsible for restorative practices. So part of this is we've got to let go of our old habit of holding so tightly on our current system of a way of discipline, disciplining students, right? So if we say we're going to do restorative practices, and and I'm I know I have a colleague, uh, you know, who I have some colleagues who've done work on this and finding that disparities sometimes remain, racial disparities remain even after folks are implemented restorative practices. But wouldn't it be a great thing to give us as a system principal the opportunity to implement restorative practices one with fidelity, right? Not just say we're doing it. Because, you know, teachers are smart enough to say, wait, look, what, I didn't have any training. What is it? What what, what are we doing? What is this stuff about? So, like people just throwing it out the same. We're now doing restorative practices. But have a have a couple of assistant principals lead that. Wouldn't that be wonderful to, to do that and implement it with fidelity, one. And two, think about that issue of how we have to bring restorative practices in a space where it is race conscious. We cannot, we cannot have approaches to addressing discipline that are not race conscious. Why do I say that? Because again, if we go back to the Office of Civil Rights and the OCR data, for decades, it is shown, it is shown, and people know this. And I, I just come, I've just come from, Scott, you remember the Education Law Association. We, we just did a talk and this came up in our, our panel We've known for decades that those disparities are there. And it's time for us to say, we cannot implement anything. And I'm talking about the racial disparities, right? The situation where African-American students making up small portion of the population bit, but being three times as likely to be suspended. We have to have a race conscious approach, uh, but wouldn't it be wonderful to have assistant principals who could take the lead on that? And other, I believe, creative problems within the education environment that gets them beyond you know the bucks, uh, the butts, books, and bus, uh, buses kind of thing, so that they they can they can they can see the job as a pathway to to leadership. And I, in my last point, I'll say um, we did um, an interview with some some of our graduates from our program who have been really uh, deeply entrenched in anti-racist leadership and doing this great work. And then they went into these roles as assistant principals, which is a great place to start. 
And they were really reluctant because they wanted to maintain the relationships on, on, on one hand and try to continue to progress. But on another hand, they were seeing some really troubling racial inequities in ways that they could support the principal, but they didn't have an actual pathway in the support to do it without worrying about whether you know they'd be open and so on and so forth. Oh my goodness. Well, um, that was a lot in a short amount of time, but, you know, I just want to say again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I feel like I could, you know, I want to keep having more conversation with you. Uh, I'm hoping that we can, um, we will include, um, you know, with the podcast um, information for people to be able to reach out um, and connect with you if they want to, you know, uh, if they just want to speak more with you. Um, and if you haven't read uh, Mark's article in Principal Magazine, you definitely want to check that out as a starting point. Then you can go and check out his book. Um, and, um, you know, I will I will just end by saying, you know, thank you again for joining us. And I think back to the story I said about, you know, and what you just shared in your last com in your last uh, answer that, you know, it's really easy for me to wear earrings that say be brave or to, you know, for us to talk about um, culture, being a culture responsive leader. It's much harder to actually do all that work. So thank you yes. for um, laying the groundwork for us and um, and really um, pushing us to, uh, I think, dig deep and focus on equity. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Liz. And uh, thank you all for having me. It's It's been, you know, fantastic and fast. It, it, uh, hopefully we got all the questions answered like we needed to and looking forward to connecting with people and and uh, just a really short. Um, I can I can be found at goodandphd.com uh, and same thing on Twitter. I think it's at goodandphd um, and Twitter and Twitter and then Instagram. Same handle at goodandphd. So it's pretty simple. Awesome. Uh, if you just send it the old fashioned, finding the website, send them an email. I, I still answer the, <laughs> those as well. So we'd love to hear from hear from folks. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for joining us here on the NASP Principal Podcast. Um, and we look forward to uh, future podcasts to speak with more amazing uh, educational leaders across the country. 